Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. We are so happy that you're here. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Keenan Clark, and I'm on staff here at our church. And if you're unfamiliar with our church, maybe it's your first time this morning, we've been in a sermon series that we have simply titled, Apparently. Uh, and I want you to know right off the bat that it is very apparent to me that I am not a parent, okay? It really is. And so some of you may be thinking, why is this kid up there? And um, that is exactly why. Um, this morning, it is my assignment to speak to you on behalf of your kids, but uh, not just your kids as they are right now. No, no, no. Your kids as they can and by God's grace will be when they step into adulthood. And we've been looking at this, this thought over and over that the parent-child relationship shows us God's heart toward us. We keep coming back to that and truth. And then with that on your brain, I'd like us to jump into the Bible this morning. We're going to jump over to Matthew chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, we should have it on the screens. Matthew 3, and we're going to begin reading at verse 13. Matthew 3, 13. That's a different language. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Good grief. Awesome. I'll read it to you. It says this in Matthew 3, 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. In verse 17, this is the verse I really want us to hone in on for just a moment. Verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Spilling over into Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You have to say it that way. By the devil. Um, if you've been on planet Earth for any length of time, you are very aware of the fact that uh, people are funny things, aren't they? Uh, people are peculiar, and people have these odd things called uh, needs, okay? People, if, you're, you're, you, if you've been around for any length of time, you're aware that they have needs. Women, you are very aware of the fact that men <laughs> have needs, all right? Some of you are like, yo, I wish my husband would need a little bit less, all right? You and my mom both, all right? We've got seven kids in our family, you know? I'll pay for that one later. Um, seven of us. What I'm trying to say is pe people, people have needs, and um, newsflash, your kids are people, okay? Your kids are people, so that would consequently mean that your kids have needs. And I'm not just talking about food in their stomach. I'm not just talking about a roof over their head. I'm not just talking about an iPad to make them shut up. Your kids have some real spiritual and emotional Needs And this morning, for the next couple moments that we're going to share, I'd like to just speak to you on a few things that I think your kids need in order to become the people that God is calling and created them to be. 
Uh, we read a moment ago in Matthew chapter 3, and for those of you who may have dozed off for a second, I'll do a slight recap. In Matthew chapter 3, we find Jesus at approximately 30 years old, okay? Jesus is about 30 years old, and he is ready to take his next step in life. He's ready to get baptized. So he comes up to his cousin, who around town is known as the Baptist. His name's John. Seems appropriate. So he comes up to John, and he's like, hey, I want you to baptize me, all right? And John's like, whoa, who am I to baptize the son of God? And Jesus is like, cool it, cuz, dunk me in the water. And John's like, who am I to argue with the son of God? So they march on down to the Jordan River. John takes Jesus, dunks him under the water, brings him out. And while Jesus is still dripping wet, as the water is still flowing off his body back into the river, the Bible says that the sky splits open. And an audible voice, I don't know if you caught that, but an audible voice comes out and says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. It's interesting to note that at this particular moment in Jesus' life, at this particular juncture in the scriptures, Jesus had not really done anything special. He hadn't really done anything very spiritual. He had not, he had not done anything miraculous. He had never opened one blind eye. He had never calmed one storm. He had never taken a Lunchable and turned it into an all-you-can-eat buffet, okay? He had never done anything miraculous. He had never even forgiven one sin. He had never done anything super special, yet this is the moment that God deems appropriate to announce to Jesus and to the world that he loves his son. And before I can apply this to you and your kids, I need to let you know how this applies to you as one of God's kids. Because the truth is this, is that way before you did anything right, before you started crossing your T's and dotting your I's, before you started getting your little spiritual ducks in a row and started coming to church and reading your Bible and cleaning up your language, way before you started tithing, the Bible says that God loved you. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were still sinners, that means when you didn't care about God, when you didn't want God, when you thought you didn't need God and you sure as heck didn't love God, God loved you and his love provoked him to put on skin and bone, come to earth, live the life you could never live, die the death you should have died so that he could now stand and offer you life and liberty if you would just call upon his name. That is the gospel. Sometimes we get in this rut where we think that our relationship with God is us chasing God down. And might I implore you this moment to stop the chase for a moment. Turn over your shoulder because you will find that God has been on your tail this entire time. Before you did anything, before you did anything right, before you did anything good, God, he loved you. With that being said, if our heavenly father, if the heavenly father, who, by the way, is perfect, which by definition would make him the perfect father. If our heavenly father demonstrated and not only demonstrated, but vocalized and spoke out about his love for his son way before he did anything overtly outstanding. I have to ask you, do your kids have to earn being told that they are loved and approved by you? Like, is the only time your kids hear about how much you love them and how proud of them you are after they've done something amazing? Like, after they've made the honor roll, after they've made the baseball team, after they've hit the home run, after they've mowed the lawn? I have to tell you that now as a grown man, I am so grateful 
that I was brought up in a home where we were constantly told how loved we were. I can recall time after time after time of my dad coming up behind me, throwing his arm around me and saying, son, I am so proud to be your dad. I'm so glad that you are my boy. And I have to be honest with you, there were a lot of times I'd sit there and I would think and even sometimes ask the question, why? Why? Because I live with me. Like everywhere I go, there I am. You know what I mean? Like, and I realized that what I probably deserved in that moment was more of a tongue lashing. But every time he just looked at me and said, because you are my, you're my son. That's why I love you. I'm here to tell you, your kids, they need a baseline of your outspoken love and approval of them in life. I'm not saying that you love and approve everything they do, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you love and approve who they are, who God is calling them to be. Your kids, they need, they need to be loved. But not only do your kids need to be loved, no, they also need to be led. You see, one of the the things I think you and I are tempted to do when it comes to reading the Bible, we've been reading here in Matthew chapter 3, and I think sometimes when it comes to reading it, you and I would be tempted to read through Matthew ch chapter 3, exit out of our Bible app, go and check Instagram or catch a show on Netflix to come back later to pick up again in Matthew chapter 4. But you have to understand this, the story we pick up on in Matthew chapter 3 spills over into Matthew chapter 4. So in Matthew chapter 3 verse 17, we see that Jesus is unashamedly told that he is loved. And then you read the next verse, which is Matthew 4, verse 1. And then it says, and then Jesus was led. Your kids, they need to be led. But we have to start with love first. Why? Because I have to know that I'm loved before I can even begin to be led. I have to know that I am loved by you before I can even be led by you. You see, Jesus trusted God to lead him because he knew that God loved him. And your kids are no different. They're no different. And let's be honest. One of the real reasons it is so important to lead from a place of love is because so many young people today, it's so sad, but it's so true, correlate and relate correction with rejection. So many young people today, they correlate and relate correction with rejection. Like if you correct me, it's because you ultimately somewhere reject me. But I'm here to tell you, if you will begin to lead your kids from a place of love, they will begin to see your correction, not as rejection, but for what it truly is, protection. They'll see it for protection. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with I-20, okay? I'm just going to get that off my chest. This is a lot cheaper than therapy, okay? Um, I do. And um, I hate it because I hate spending four hours on it. Did it yesterday, all right? Do it again today, okay? It's, it, it's terrible, but I love it because I love where it takes me, okay, to that girl right there. It's awesome. And so what I'm trying to say is I spend a lot of time on the highway, and occasionally as I'm cruising along I-20, the weirdest thing will begin to happen, okay? All of a sudden, I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, my car will begin to convulse. My hands can hardly grip the steering wheel, and all I hear is this. It's the weirdest thing, right? So I started doing a little bit of investigating, okay? And what I'm proud to announce is that my investigation has led me to understand that what is causing this earthquake simulation is actually called a rumble strip, okay? It's called a rumble strip. Some of you may be familiar with them. If not, you really need to get out more, okay? You really do. 
It's a rumble strip. And what a rumble strip essentially is, they are, they are tiny grooves etched into the margins of the highway, etched into the sides of the highway. And what a rumble strip exists to do is it exists to send you a message, okay? And I'm here to tell you that the message the rumble strip is sending you is not, wow, you're a terrible driver. Like, rumble strip is not braille for, hey, moron, how did you get a license, okay? That is not what the rumble strip is saying, okay? What a rumble strip is telling you is, hey, there is nothing good for you over here. If you drive your car over here, it will end tragically. This is not the route you want to take. You see, rumble strips aren't there to shame your driving. They're there to save your driving. And I'm telling you, if you begin to lead your kids from a place of love, they will begin to see your correction not as rejection, but for what it truly is. It is protection, trying to protect them. I remember when I was about seven years old, uh, my dad and I, we got, we got invited to go dove hunting, okay? Don't let the skinny jeans fool you. I love the outdoors. And um, we got invited to go dove hunting. And I remember we went outside of town, and we were on this little plot of land, and I'm about seven years old, and we're standing on this little grassy knoll, and my dad's like, all right, son, listen up. I'm like, yes, sir. He says, do you see that tree over there? I was like, yeah, I see it. He said, all right, do you see that tree over there? I was like, yeah, I see it. He's like, okay, I want you to know anything that flies between these two trees is yours, all right? Knock it out of the sky, son. I said, no problem, partner. It was more like, no problem, partner. You know, it's like <laughs> seven years old. And... Um, He's like, all right, but as soon as it flies beyond the trees, you need to drop your gun. That bird might as not, about that bird, it doesn't exist to you, okay? Stop. I was like, all right. He's like, I'm going to hunt behind you. We're going to hunt back to back. I'm like, sounds great. So I sit there. I'm in my little lawn chair. I've got my 410 shotgun, and I'm waiting, and five minutes goes by, 10 minutes goes by, 15 minutes goes by. How many of you know when you are seven years old, 15 minutes might as well be 15 days? You know, I'm like, I'm going to start shaving soon. Like something needs to happen. Like for real. So I'm sitting there for what feels like an eternity when all of a sudden a little bird flies into my domain, you know, flies into my trees. And so you can imagine I get a shot of adrenaline. I grab my shotgun. I throw around in the chamber. I snap it shut and I throw the barrel in the sky. I close my left eye. Yes, I'm a rapper. Get over it. And I'm sitting there and I'm tracking along with this bird. And I have to tell you that this had to be the dumbest bird in the history of birds. Like, this bird could not fly straight to save its life, which ironically saved its life, okay? But it did. But this bird's flying along, just for another message. This bird's flying along, and I'm tracking along with it. I'm thinking, man, I have waited too long and hard to miss now. So I'm tracking along with this bird. I've got my little sight on it, and I'm going along. Well, all of a sudden, I don't realize it, but this bird has flown beyond the trees, okay? But I don't realize, I'm so zeroed in on it, I don't realize where it's flying at. So I'm tracking along with it, I keep following it, keep following, I'm trying to get the perfect shot. And all of a sudden, this little like internal clock goes off, like something needs to happen. Like I just need to shoot this gun already. So I'm sitting there, and I decide to fire, and I go, blam! And the smoke clears, my left eye comes open, and to my shock and horror, my barrel is here, and my dad's head is right there, less than six inches away. You can imagine, I was done shooting, all right, for the rest of my life. I'm playing. My dad ministered to me that day with the laying on of hands, all right? 
If you don't know what that means, check out Steve Whitaker's message. He did a great job covering it, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to go there. But I was done shooting for the day. And you know what? I learned real quickly that ignoring boundaries can suck the fun out of life real fast. I learned very quickly that those boundaries were in place to save me, to protect me, to protect what I loved. You know, I think if it's long, when you begin to lead your kids from a place of love, they will begin to see that your correction, their boundaries, they are in place not to shame them, but to save them. Yeah. That they're there to protect them, to preserve them. You've got to let love establish the boundaries when it comes to leading your kids. Why? Because your kids, they need, they need to be led. But notice where Jesus was led to. It says, then Jesus was led, but notice where. Says, then he was led into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. He was led into seclusion. He was led into isolation. He was led down an unpopular road. You know, I'll be honest with you. Um, following Jesus at a young age today, yeah, it's not easy. Following Jesus at a young age today is a very culturally unpopular route to take it can be very lonely it can be very weird at times a lot of you know me you know my story but I've grown up in the church as long as I can remember my mom and dad have been in ministry when I was a kid my mom and dad were were youth pastors and so consequently I've been around ministry my entire life had God not called me into it I just volunteered you know what I mean I, just, I don't know really anything else and so Ministry has always been something we do as a family. I want you to know that ministry has never been forced down our throat. Ministry has never just been something mom and dad do. Loving Jesus is something the Clarks do. That's what we do. This is who we are. We bleed this. And it starts because of these two people right here. I remember being a kid and being at youth events, youth retreats, youth conferences, youth camps, youth services. And I'd constantly be hearing my dad talk about what it means to be a man of God. What does it mean to be a man of God? My dad's always been super intentional about teaching us and bringing us up in the scriptures. And I remember when I turned 12 years old, it started to get real, real fine-tuned. I remember my dad looked at me and he said, all right, son, from the time that you are 12 to the time that you are 13, we are going to undergo the process of starting your journey down the road of manhood. We're going to begin this, this journey. And he was like, you know what, 16 is too late. Two years in is enough. We're starting now. We'll start when you're 12. So from the time that I was 12 to the time that I was 13, I had to read the entire New Testament I memorized ample amount of scripture. I uh, had to read different books. I had to memorize different poems. I memorized the poem If by Rudyard Kipling. I mem memorized a, uh, an excerpt from Theodore Roosevelt's speech, The Man in the Arena, because my dad did not want my place to be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. I memorized so many, so many different things. I had to write my own speech, present it at my 13th birthday party. But one of the things my dad had me do was he had me sit down alone with different men that he thought were great men of God, and I had to interview them as to what it meant to be a great man of God. And I have to be honest with you, I'm 12 years old, all right? I want to go watch Star Wars, you know? Like, I don't really want to be doing this. Like, it was awkward. I had thought after thought of, like, why can't I just step into manhood like everybody else? Why can't I just turn 18 and, and just go about my life? And that wasn't going to happen. So... We did what dad wanted. And I remember we were sitting there and I'm interviewing these men and I'm asking them the questions. And I remember one of the, con one of the constant things that would come up as I'm talking to these men of God is they would always say, Kenan, if you want to be a real man of God, then you need to surround yourself with other men 
of God. And they always bring up this verse, and it stuck out to me because it was one of the verses my dad was having me memorize, and it was Proverbs 27, 17. And it says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Fast forward two more years, I'm now 14 years old. We just launched Celebration Church, and it's time for me to go to high school. So we start looking for where we're going to go to school, and we start looking at some of the outlining school systems, and we finally decide on one, and I'm an athlete, so I join the football team, and I start two-a-days. And every day I'm going to two-a-days, and I'm like, man, this is where I'm going to be for the next four years of my life. I need to fit in. I need to find friends. I need to be liked. I, I, I need this to be a cozy ride because it's going to be a long one, all right? Going every single day to two-a-days. I'm listening to the guys. I'm listening how they talk, how they joke, what they think about. I remember I made it about two weeks into two-a-days, and my mom came to pick me up from practice, and we begin the long trek back into town, and I'm sitting there in absolute silence the whole, the whole way home. And what was happening is I was, feeling, I was feeling out of place. I was feeling like I was at a crossroads in my life, and I knew that something was off. I didn't quite know what it was. Now I can tell you it's the Holy Spirit. He was trying to get a hold of me, but at the time, I'm 14 years old. I don't know what's going on. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm wrestling with these things, and I just stay quiet, and finally I get home, and I can't take it anymore. So I march into my mom and dad's room, and I'm, tears are running down my face. I'm 14 years old. And I look at my mom and dad. I'm like, Mom, Dad, I don't know how to say this, but I need you to know that if I go to that school, if I do four years of that every single day, I want you to know, fair warning, I will not be the man of God you want me to be. I won't. I knew I was nobody special. I knew I didn't have some kind of superpower. I knew I was just like every other 14-year-old kid who I just happened to love Jesus, you know? I knew I was going to acquiesce. I knew I was just going to fall in line. I knew I wasn't above the, the pressures of my peers. And so, as you can imagine, that was the last day I ever set foot on that campus as an enrolled student. Mom and dad quickly, boom, yanked me out. And so all of a sudden, it's time to start school. So we start looking for where to stick me, and we decide on Cornerstone Christian School here in town. And so I go to Cornerstone, and fast forward another two years, I'm now a junior in high school, and I'm asked to lead worship for our entire school every single week. And that's kind of where I began to cut my teeth on leading my peers and even speaking a little bit because I'd have to talk between songs and it was really awkward. Thank God you weren't there. <laughs> began to kind of do that, cut my teeth. Fast forward another year, it's time to graduate high school. So I begin to pray as to what I'm supposed to be doing and I really feel God pulling my heart towards ministry. But I don't even know what that looks like for me. So I feel God tugging me towards ministry. So I decide, you know, I'm going to go to Bible school and God tells me to go to CFNI in Dallas. So I enroll into CFNI, and I go, and at CFNI, that is where God forever solidified it in my soul that as long as I have air in my lungs, I am called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm called to do. Thank you. So I start taking classes that are appropriate to that. I go through a pastoral counseling class. I go through some preaching classes. I end up getting asked to speak in front of my entire school and it comes time to graduate. So I start praying this to where I'm supposed to go next. And God says, it's time to go home. You need to go back and serve your dad and build the church. So I'm like, okay. So I move back home and I start serving here. I'm, I'm on staff here and I'm clicking along. We start young adults. And now today, I'm 23 years old. I'm now preaching all over the nation, soon to be internationally. And today, after I am done preaching our services this morning, 
I am going to hightail it over to Dallas where I've been asked to be one of the young ministers backstage at Harvest America praying for Greg Laurie, praying for Switchfoot, praying for David Crowder, praying for Phil Wickham, praying for Chris Tomlin as they go out and effectively minister the gospel to nearly 100,000 people at Cowboy Stadium tonight. It's projected to be the largest single-day crusade in American history tonight. And the only reason I'm getting to do any of this stuff, next week I fly to Israel. And the only reason I'm doing any of this stuff, it's not because I am so big and so bad and have some kind of special morality. It's not. I, I told you, I live with me, okay? I have an inside scoop. It is because these two people dared to love me for who I was in a given moment and then lead me into who God was calling me to be. That's the only reason. I'm forever grateful. I'm forever indebted. And you know what? At times it stunk. At times I didn't get it. At times it seemed weird. But now, as a grown man, I am so grateful my life. I have no idea where it would be had God not used these two people to love and lead me where I was supposed to go. I was able to go unperfectly down an unpopular road because these two people dared to love and to lead me. Jesus was loved and he was led down an unpopular road road. But I left out something. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. By the Spirit of what? By the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of his Father. Jesus was able to go down an unpopular road because he didn't go alone. He had something to follow. He followed his Father. I want to read a few passages real quick and we're going to wind this down says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll have it on the screen. 1 Corinthians 4, 15 says this, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. It says you don't have many fathers and a father is one you should be able to imitate, so why don't you go ahead and, and imitate me? If that wasn't enough, seven chapters later, in the same letter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this, throw it up on the screen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I'm here to tell you, mom, I'm here to tell you, dad, the best thing you could ever do for your kids Walk with Jesus is to let them see Jesus lead you on yours. The best thing you could ever do for your kid's relationship with God is to take yours seriously. And the only reason I'm getting to know God better and trust him, him more in my life is because I've watched these two bleed this my entire life. They were the same people right here as they are dealing with me in my room after I've done something. Same people. And I've been able to watch them. And be led into who God wanted me to be because they let God love them and lead them into who God wanted them to be. My bottom line is this. Let God love and lead you as you love and lead your kids. Let God love and lead you as you love and lead your kids. And for some of you, that starts right here and right now. I'd like to create a quiet moment and just out of privacy and respect, I'd just like every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. Nobody looking around. This is a private moment. For some of you, letting God love you 
and lead you. It starts right near here. I told you at the very beginning of this message that God has loved you time out of mind. He has loved you before you were even available to be loved. And he loves you still today, regardless of what you've done, regardless of how you've acted or where you've been. He loves you now, and he not only wants to love you, he wants to lead you into who he's called you to be. This isn't, the, the weight of this is not on your shoulders. Jesus carried the cross for a reason. It's not yours to carry. And right now, if you would like to put your faith in Jesus, you'd like to say, you know what, Kenan, I want that. I want to lean into my father. I want to be loved. I want to be led into who God's calling me to be. If you would say, Kenan, I'd like to put my faith in the love of God today. I promise you, you'll never be the same. If that's you, I'd just like to rate you to raise your hand at the count of three. One, God loves you. Two, now is your moment. Three, if you just shoot your hand up. Yes, 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 yes. Hands going up all over this room. Yes, praise God. Believers, if you would just lift your voice with these, I'm gonna give you guys some words. If you just repeat after me, we're gonna pray together. You're already saved. This prayer doesn't save you. Your hand didn't save you. Your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone is what has saved you. We're all gonna pray together. If you just repeat after me, Heavenly Father, I love you. It's only because you first loved me. Help me to lean into your love as your love leads me into life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that I'm going to spend forever with you. Protect my family. Love us and lead us from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.